When Hillary said that incremental change was the only way forward, everyone derided and hated her for saying it. Sadly, living in a political wonk bubble, she was 100% correct but didn't explain it well enough to the average person what she meant, so it looked like she was just a passive gutless shill. The derisively hated neoliberals, who aren't even close to neoliberals unless the word loses all meaning, like Hillary Clinton, are viewed as privileged to the point of inaction or worse, in on the economic abuse. She dared to say that gradual change was the only way forward at this point, and all the burners lost their minds. Sadly, Hillary appears to be the no-nonsense, black-and-white, tell-it-like-it-is, something people like about Trump, but since she's been smeared for so long, she's viewed as untrustworthy. Her telling it like it is, however, doesn't actually bother to explain why she says what she means. She was in a bubble full of political operatives and people who knew the system and how politics actually worked, so she just assumed people understood and interpreted what she meant. Trump, telling it like it is, always oversimplifies lies spread through the populace already, and is usually cruel. The 2020 primary was a bucket of ice-cold water for most burners. Their turnout was even lower this election than the last one, but they too were in their bubbles, and most people they were friends with were burners, so it made it seem like they had a real popular movement that represented most of America. That turned out to be not even close to the case. Bernie was more the protest candidate in 2016 election for many people, or the only other alternative, so his numbers were higher than in this primary, where there were a lot more people to choose from. Democrats have been playing the very long game for decades. We've been losing over and over again, watching the demographics slowly change over time and are almost at the demographic tipping point. On average, boomers and older have been working their asses off to stop all progress and take us back to a mythical time Fox News claims really did exist and for reasons that aren't even close to true. America has been hyper-conservative since Reagan, and perhaps even Nixon. Bill had to start the third way since voters were so conservative, and while that sounds like selling out, the job of a politician is to represent the average opinion of the constituency, even if they personally disagree with the concept, not to be a political vanguard, unless they happen to be lucky enough to have a constituency that is that kind of way, similar to Bernie and Warren and Ron Paul. Then the population changes and the politician changes and they're looked on as hypocritical, untrustworthy sellouts even if their actions just represented the people who elected them. Of course, the Republicans aren't like that. They just represent which billionaire gave them the most money. There are certain things politicians refuse to change their stance on, but for the most part, they're supposed to represent the average view of their constituents. Merkel did not vote for same-sex marriage because her constituents were completely against it as a representative of an area, but the German people were all for it, so she allowed the vote to go through as chancellor who represented the German people. Sadly, because so many people don't understand this, Democrats are viewed as complacent or a shill. It may not look like it, but we are seizing the opportunities we have for progressive change. However, the issue comes down to the fact that most people were given a sugar-coated, magical thinking education on politics, and they killed civics classes that teaches the nitty-gritty of politics to create real change, so if things aren't going the way they want, it's all rigged, and therefore, I'm not going to vote why I made my other channel What is Activism that digs into the nitty-gritty I learned while trying to run an activism group to make real change for ranked choice voting. I do consider myself to be a progressive, but progressive doesn't equal leftist or having a different electoral rubric than your actual political beliefs. 
The way forward has always been slow and steady. We've been watching the demographic shift. It's real, but too slow. Young people don't vote compared to old people. After the idea of single-payer or public option was shot down in the Senate under Obama, even though Pelosi had the votes in the House and Obama would have signed it, the demographic health care plan was always ACA, which set up a framework for public option next time they had all three branches, and a public option would fix some of the major problems with Medicare, and after that, if the demographic shifted enough, shifting to single-payer. There are big issues preventing Democrats from going full-on progressive. Young people don't vote, while old people who make up the moderate wing always vote. It's statistically easier to convince a voter to shift their support of parties than a non-voter to bother to show up. The campaigns have limited resources to spend, so they have to get the most bang for their buck, or they will lose. Bernie claimed he could beat this trend, ignoring all the polling data and evidence, and he turned out to be just as wrong as the establishment thought he was, which is why they were so dead set against him. Since everyone seems to only focus on the presidency and thinks the president holds all the power and they ignore the lesser seats, we have a very long uphill battle, even with COVID-19 sadly speeding up the demographic shift. The House is another tough nut to crack and change. They have, on average, a 90% retention rate, so changing up the House is going to take a lot of work. 50% of Democrats in the House are moderates and 50% are progressives, and that is very slowly changing. Add to it that no one pays attention to state houses, judges, and we're on an uphill battle to ensure fair elections that can give real representation to the states and fight voter suppression. We also have the problem of the Electoral College, which constitutional compromise ensured that small states have more political say over the president, where North Dakota has three times the voting power for president as California. And most states, with winner-take-all, have already decided long ago which party they as a state are voting for, but breaking up to allow for proportional voting would give one party a political advantage over the other, unless they do it at the same time, which is why the interstate compact is so important. Lastly, we come down to the Senate, which, if you think gerrymandering in the Electoral College are bad, the Senate is way worse for Democrats at the moment by design. When the Constitution was written, the biggest difference in population between the states was 15 to 1, and the small states wanted some check on power so the big states wouldn't run roughshod over the small states. This was good back when all the states viewed themselves as their own nation, and when the difference in population was that small. During the late 1800s, the new, now pro-business Republican Party began admitting lots of western Midwest states en masse with as low a population as they could to get these sweet extra Senate seats. The Dakotas, Wyoming, and Montana all to this day have very low populations, but Wyoming has 168th the population of California, so when it comes to the Senate, a Wyoming resident has 68 times the voting power to a Californian. This is the real reason why the ACA didn't turn out to be single-payer. The only way to fix this long-term is to target people out in these smaller states with our message, as since everyone is moving to cities, by 2050, 17% of the population is expected to run 50% of the Senate. That goes with an idea I had that any state with 125th the population of the largest state should only have one senator, and any state with one less than 125th of the population of the biggest state gets no senators. That would strip out a senator from the smallest 10 states, but be much more in line with the founding imbalance, and also end all resistance to allowing the territories in limbo to becoming states and getting all the protections they should have. I see it as a most fair voting process, but I don't see 
see it ever happening. However, not all is hopeless. The southern coastal states are yearly moving more and more liberal. Virginia was once blood red and is now solid blue. In 2019, finally overcoming all the decades of gerrymandering to ensure a fair state election in 2021. North Carolina is now purple, and Georgia is probably going purple in 2022, in spite of all the cheating and gerrymandering, and even blood-red South Carolina is showing cracks this election. The big daddy of them all is Texas, which will be expected to be turning purple in the next few election cycles, and solid blue by 2030 due to its massive Latino population. It's interesting that under Governor Reagan, California was blood red, but now it's solid blue, essentially a one-party state with their jungle primary, which is an excellent way for a left third party to try and get elected and become valid. Nevada is not far behind. Oddly, Texas and Florida has the same percentage of Latina and Latino citizens as California and Nevada, but they are right-to-work states, while California and Nevada have very strong unions that turn out the vote. As white old people die out in Texas and Florida, sadly much faster now thanks to COVID, and young Latin Americans who on average don't see anything wrong with much leftist ideas grow old enough to start voting, the GOP as we know it will never have a chance of winning the presidency again, and we'll have to shift where the moderate Democrats are, and the Democrats will be more like Bernie and Warren, and of course, since more and more states are working on ranked choice voting, where the Democrats and the Republicans go as they break off into multiple parties, there is no telling where the parties will sit on the political spectrum. After Texas flips blue, it's all over. The Republican Party is completely dead, and they know it, which is why they are using this time to jam through as many radically conservative judges as possible, while many non-voters who will be voters in the future can't see what is going on because they don't have enough long view of these kinds of changes and exactly where we have come from and how we have evolved and where we're going. The 2020 election, if the Democrats win, will be a cleanup job from Trump with moderate progress forward just due to the makeup of the House and Senate, and Obama could barely do anything with the economy wrecked, so Biden, or even Bernie if he had won, wouldn't have done that well. 2024 will be the year that bold progressive ideas really can have a chance of passing just due to demographic shift and the changing ideas. However, if Trump wins again, you can forget that. Voting in elections are under serious threat, and Trump is eating away at every single institution that could check his power or provide oversight in any way, shape, or form. Just look at his attempt to completely destroy the post office, which will undermine vote by mail. If he wins again, democracy is going to basically not exist in many states, as Georgia and Florida have both shown. If we have democracy in 2024 and 2028, we can make huge changes in this nation. If we have a broken government and democracy and courts, that idea can be tossed in the garbage. Yes, there is serious urgency now, but we really haven't convinced enough people yet why progressive ideas are good and haven't convinced enough progressive-leaning non-voters to get their asses out to vote, especially in blood-red or solid-blue states where there's no way they can win the presidency, but they can make some serious strides in changing their local and state politics. We have a plan. In 2016, we finally started seeing the long-awaited demographic shift we had been waiting for while hopelessly working our asses off for. Sadly, this new generation had no context to the past and what we have tried and just believed the party was all a bunch of neoliberal shills without having a clue what the word even meant. 
Therefore, many sat out the election, and now the Supreme Court is unjustly in favor of the right, and Trump has appointed 30% of the judges in the other courts, which is more than any other president. And if Trump wins again, the red states, who are now a minority, will essentially be able to have political tyranny over the majority of the blue populace for at least another decade, ensuring no change will happen at all. Especially since 2020 is a gerrymandering, fixing year. That's when all the congressional seats get redistricted. We have a plan forward. The votes are there in the future, just on the horizon. But if we don't work our asses off to defend our democracy and the Supreme Court this election, you can kiss any big or real chance we could have had in 2024 or 2028, goodbye, because the Supreme Court will just strike down any progressive laws the second the president signs it. 2020 is going to be the unimpressive and boring, but incredibly important year, and if we are lucky, it will be one of the very last massively uphill battles with mediocre results we will have. That in 2022, when the Democrats have the highest chance of locking in the Senate solidly. If we can stop Trump and Mitch, we will get to see real big change in 2024. The demographics clearly show it. But if you can only focus on the presidential elections and only the short-term results, we'll never see any real change until maybe possibly the 2030s. And that's if people pay enough attention. It's up to us to have a large, long-term amount of patience and hard work for little results. Just like our predecessors in the past, especially ones who worked for civil rights for decades without seeing any change until all of a sudden they had some serious change. Even though it will be probably bigger results than we've been able to have since LBJ, just due to already shifted demographics in the nation from 2016 and especially 2008. The fact that there are so many Bernie supporters, even if they aren't large enough yet to win a primary, is evidence enough of what is to come. We just have to keep holding the fort, keep pushing forward until the demographic shifts enough and we get our message spread to enough people. Until then, work to get down-ticket candidates elected like the nation depends on it, because it does. These will trickle up to the presidency, even if you're not thrilled about the president, and give him and the future, her, the congressional power needed to make real change. But we have to be patient and not expect too much, but build the roots so the tree of liberty can grow freely again so everyone can thrive. So thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I'm sure there was nothing controversial about this and everyone will happily get along in the comments section, which you can do on the YouTube version of this video or my Facebook page, After School Democracy. Link in the show notes. Just a reminder that I'm Anubis2814 on YouTube and I have over 500 videos on different topics that I've made over the past 10 years. Please subscribe and if your podcast site has the option, give me a like or review. If you think what I have to say informed you, consider supporting my Patreon. I'll be doing this podcast weekly and try to get it out on the same day, so I hope to see you here next week, ready to be filled with new ideas. Take care. This channel is helped tremendously by the generous supporters on Patreon. A big thank you to the wonderful Joe Taylor, Elias Garcia Guevara, and Ogrel for their support at the $10 a month Wapawet level. Please consider donating to my work if you can, and thank you all for listening.